This sermon is brought to you by Shofar East London. Together, living out the fullness of Christ. We hope you enjoy this message. Good morning, everybody. My husband is at Shofar PE this morning. I'm still working on the pronunciation of the new name. Yeah, everybody's saying it different. Yeah, it's a work. I don't know. Uh, um, if, if anybody can tell me what is the absolutely correct one, then I'm going to start practicing and I'm going to get it right. Even Google Maps have been changed. <laughs> so, yeah, but in any case, he's at Shofar PE, so it's my privilege to share a word with you this morning. And you're a special welcome to those who are joining online. You are as important to us this morning as the people present. And I'm really, really excited for everybody joining this morning. I'm sharing a word that I'm wrestling through in my own life. So this is not theoretical, this is not just words from my side, it's something that I'm personally dealing with at the moment, and I really trust that it's going to be an encouragement for you guys. I know many people are going through extremely difficult seasons, some of you are battling with your health, some of you are battling in your businesses, or some of you just battling depression or loneliness, and some of you have lost a family member in the last year, which is... Possibly one of the most difficult things to deal with this side of eternity. And I, I trust that whatever I'm going to share is going to lift your spirits, is going to give you hope again and make you believe again. Because in, in seasons of trials or difficult seasons, there's different voices speaking to us. You know, it's our own voice. If I say voices, it, it is just different things coming to us and we need to somehow make sense out of it and we we deal with our own internal struggles like fears or or depression or or questions and then we deal with people's opinions right people often mean well but it sometimes could be overwhelming because this one says this and this one says that and then we also need to deal with the enemy's voice who could bring accusation who could bring lies And then somewhere in this mix, we need to find God's voice. We need to find out what is God saying, because that's ultimately, that's going to lead to a a healthy internal state, you know, a heart, a healthy heart, especially in difficult seasons. And most of you are aware that Andre and I have been trusting God for another baby. It's now almost 11 years that we're still trusting, and Throughout these years, I had to deal with many different voices. I had to deal with my own questions, my own fears, my own confusion around it. I had to deal with people's opinions, things that people say, advice that people give me. I had to deal with things that the enemy brings, you know, confusion and lies and depression and all kinds of different emotions. And then in this mix, I had to find... God's voice. I had to find out what is God saying because that's ultimately going to lead to a healthy state in my heart. And you know, at the beginning of this year, I was again searching for God's voice. In January 2021, I said, God, what is your opinion on this situation? And I had this discussion with the Lord and I had questions for him. I said, God, why did you make Abraham wait 25 years for Isaac? And now I was I was full of questions for God because Abram got a word at the age of 75 that he's going to have a son. 
And at the age of 100, Isaac was born. So just make your own calculations. It's a long time, right? I said to God, what was this really necessary? And, you know, I, I even pointed God to Scripture. I said, God, look here, look here. In, in Genesis 12, verse 1, you said to Abram, get out of your country, out of your father's house to the land that I'll show you. And verse 4, three verses later, so Abram departed as the Lord had spoken to him. So I was like, God, look here. Abram was a man of faith from the beginning. Was this really necessary to make him wait 25 years for this promise? What, what did you want to achieve? What was the why? You know, and God is so faithful. I don't know if any one of you had ever discussions with God around things, but he's so faithful. And yes, sometimes he answers us with his peace. Sometimes there's a mystery. Sometimes there isn't an answer, but God was so faithful to show me James 1. And he brought so much clarity to me. James 1, verse 2 to 4. So I'm reading in the Amplified. It says, Consider it nothing but joy, my brothers and sisters, when you fall into various trials. Be assured that the testing of your faith through experience. So this is not a theoretical thing. This is you feel it. The testing of your faith that the scripture is talking about is you feel it. You feel that you're being tested, whether you believe or not. The testing of your faith produces endurance. It leads to spiritual maturity and inner peace. And let endurance, look at this, let endurance have its perfect result and do a thorough work so that you may be perfect and completely developed in your faith, lacking in nothing. So God showed me that when we are being tested in our faith, it produces something. There's, there's a fruit. There's, there's fruit coming from a season of, of waiting or a season of confusion or a season of difficulty. And that fruit is called endurance. Some translations talk about patience. It, it produces patience. But it produces something really valuable in our lives. But it doesn't only produce patience or endurance or perseverance. It also produces something else. Let's look again in the scripture. Let endurance have its perfect result and do a thorough work. So endurance is just the beginning of the testing of our faith. On top of that, there's a perfect work, a a thorough work, a perfect result that is happening when our faith is being tested and when we hang on to what God is doing. So obviously, you know, I don't have the full extent of, or of clarity why Abraham had to wait 25 years, but this scripture opened up for me so, so much. You know, in a season where there's confusion and you pray and there's not an outcome or there's not the outcome that you're looking for, then God says, this season produces endurance. And on top of that, it produces a perfected work. You know, the New King James says, the testing of our faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work. So there's something beautiful that's happening when there's a season of trial or a season of tribulation in our lives. So let's just pause Abram's story quickly. I want to take you to another story in the Bible, the story of Lazarus. And you found it in, in John 11, 
from verse 1, I'm going to read to you. Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany. Now this man was a personal friend of Jesus. You know the two sisters, Mary and Martha? Lazarus was their brother. So Jesus was very, very personally involved in this family. You know, it was like almost like blood family team. We all have friends and family, you know, friend we all have a friend, or I hope, that sticks closer than a brother, you know, that scripture and I, I believe that was the family for Jesus that was sticking closer than a brother. You know, and this this man was sick, Lazarus. In in the town of Bethany, the town of Mary and his sister Martha, therefore the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. So there was no WhatsApp, right? Not even SMS, not even a telegram, nothing like that. So they'd obviously had to send a messenger walking to another town saying, Jesus, the one whom you love is sick. Now listen to Jesus' response. When Jesus heard that, he said, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Then it says, Jesus loved Martha and his sister and Lazarus. Nothing in the Bible is ever documented coincidentally, right? It's very, very important that you notice that Jesus loved them. But now look at this. So when he heard that he was sick, when Jesus heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. How's that for loving somebody? You know, does this look loving? Does this look as if he cares? Does this look as if this family is important to him? You know, it says he loved them. But when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days. He delayed for two days. He stayed two days, then he still had to travel to the town where Lazarus was. So I don't know how long it took him to get to this family, but he deliberately delayed. Why? Why would he do that? If the Bible says he loved this family, he loved them, he loved Martha and Mary and Lazarus, Why on earth would he not rush? Why would he not immediately leave everything for this friend of him that is unwell? Why? Could it be that he knew that by delaying the outcome would be even more glorious? Could it be that he knew that by delaying they would get to know his character in a way that they will never ever get to know him any otherwise? Any other way, could it be that that he knew that by delaying, there would be something happening that will glorify God like nothing else? Could could it be? Could it be that Jesus knew that there was going to be a greater outcome compared to rushing there and attending to their needs? You know, in John 11 verse 21, now he, he, he eventually goes to this family And now Martha says to him, in the meantime, Lazarus dies, right? We all know the story. In the meantime, this man dies. And Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. She's she's almost accusing him for what he says. You know, I thought you loved us. I thought you you care. I thought if I'm going to send a message, you're going to come immediately. What, What he says. If you were here, my brother would not have died. So she was wrestling, 
right? She was wrestling with this, this truth or lie. Is Jesus really loving me? You know, does he really care? And she had to wrestle through this. And again, Jesus' voice, in between all these voices, Jesus said to her, did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? You know, and we all know the rest of the story. Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. He raised him. You know, and, and his voices in the midst of all this confusion and trauma and, and, and mourning was that this sickness is not unto death. And if you would believe, you would see the glory of God. So in the midst of all of these voices screaming loud that maybe God doesn't care or, you know, there's real grief. This is real. Somebody died. The voice of Jesus was, this sickness is not unto death. And did I not say to you that if you believe, you would see the glory of God? And it was so crucial for this family in this moment to hear the voice of God. Do not listen to the voices of the what ifs, you know? Or does, really, does Jesus really care? Does he really love us? So there were so many voices speaking, and they had to identify the voice of God. So in terms of our own lives, how do we find the voice of God in our seasons of trauma and trials and persecution and just where we feel so overwhelmed? How do we find God's voice? Because that is our key. That is our key to not only survive but to flourish in difficult seasons. And I believe... We do it by moving from a position of walking by sight to a position of walking by faith. Easier said than done, I know. But we, we hear God's voice when we silence the other voices. We silence the voice of unbelief. We silence the voice of fear. We silence the voice of doubt so that Jesus' voice can be loud and clear. And we can identify it. And I'm going to take you through a few very practical things that I do in my life. In seasons when, when I get confused, you know, what is God really saying to me? Because, you know, people say that and I feel this and, you know, and then, and then the enemy, it feels almost as if the, you know, the enemy wants to, to lie to me like that. And now, what is Jesus saying? So first of all, what I do, I remember what God has done. I remember. I force myself to remember. I'm going to take you to a scripture in Psalm 77 where the psalmist was so overwhelmed. And I, I think many of you would be able to identify to this. Psalm 77, I'm just taking portions of scripture in that psalm. It says, In the day of my trouble, I sought the Lord. My soul refused to be comforted. I complained and my spirit was overwhelmed. I'm so troubled that I cannot speak. I don't know if anybody of you can relate to this in this season. Then he says, I meditate within my heart and my spirit makes diligent search. And I say, this is my anguish. This, these are the facts. These are my circumstances. This is my anguish. anguish. But, but, there's a but. I will remember the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the works of the Lord, 
Surely I will remember your wonders of old. And I will also meditate on all your work and talk of all your deeds. So what do I do when my soul refuses to be comforted? What do I do when I, I'm so overwhelmed I cannot speak? I just want to hide away. I just want to cry. I just want to, you know, almost feel sorry for myself because it's, my life is like a merry-go-round or a washing machine and I just feel so torn in different directions. What do I do? I remember what God has done for me. I remember, you know, I remember how God healed me from an autoimmune skin disease called psoriasis, which I had for 26 years. How he healed me from that. I remember how God delivered me from a three-year season of insomnia. I couldn't sleep. I couldn't fall asleep. It was one of the most difficult and dark seasons in my life. For those of you who have ever battled to sleep, you will know what I'm talking about. I remember how God helped me to pass my board exams as a student. Well, I failed the first one, and my confidence was crushed. Academically, I felt like a complete failure, and there was so much pressure on me. And God gave me a word that I, will, I had to write two exams, but I had to pass the first one before I could do the second one. And God said to me, Sonica, you will pass both exams in the next year. That was not after failing. That was while studying for the first one again. And while I heard from somebody that the people who just wrote the second exam, a very low percentage of them passed. So voices, you know, the pass rate's very low for the second one. I mean, I must still pass the first one. And I haven't passed the first one. And I'm studying and I feel overwhelmed. And God was so faithful. That is what happened. I passed both exams in the next year. And I remind myself of that. I remind myself of that word that God was true to his word. When I felt so overwhelmed, you know, I remember how God saved me. I remember how he filled me with his spirit. I remember. I remind myself. And you know what happens? I change. I change. Even if my circumstances don't change, I change. And I believe again. It's almost as if I move from walking by sight to a different place where I walk by faith. Because I have a list of things God has done in my life, but it's easy to forget. I mean, I can keep you busy for an hour if you really want to know everything God has done in my life. He's, he's delivered me from so much anxiety, so much fear, so much intimidation. He's done so much. I'm not the same person as I was 20 years ago. And I know all of you have stories but it's so easy to forget them in moments where we're so overwhelmed. But forcing ourselves to remember, it changes us. It changes us where we say, okay, I don't know how, but I'm going to believe again. God, I'm going to trust you again. When we remember, our faith increases, right? When we remember, our faith increases, but it's a deliberate, intentional reminder of what God has done for us. And sometimes we can't think of anything because we're in a, in a very, very dark space in our lives. Then we need to go look for it and find it and remind ourselves. Second thing that I do that really helps me in a season where I, where I need to hear God's voice, where I need to again move from walking by sight to walking by faith, I unite with other people, not just any people. I unite with those who are like-minded. 
I unite with those who are for me. I unite with those who are willing to speak the truth. I unite with those who are who are one in purpose and spirit, one in heart with me. Matthew 18 verse 19, it says, Again, I tell you, if two of you on earth agree. Now, the, the Amplified Bible explains that word agree as harmonize together and make a symphony together for all the musical people in the house. I love harmonies. If we can do five harmonies, that's not really possible. But if we can at least get to three minimum on a Sunday here in the worship team, I feel, I feel so uplifted. I feel so excited. I feel energized. Okay, the more harmonies, the better. And a symphony, if you think about a symphony, for those of you who've ever watched a, a, like an orchestra, there's different instruments. I mean, it's totally different. But when they come together, there's one sound. And it's beautiful, and it's, it's more powerful than one instrument can ever produce. I mean, when you add instruments, when you add music, when you add voices, there's something happening, right? Even just in the natural, you feel, wow, there's a weight. There's a weight behind the symphony. There's an agreement. And the scriptures say, I tell you, if two of two, only two agree about whatever, Anything and everything, they may ask, it will come to pass and be done for them by my Father in heaven. So when we pray in agreement with like-minded people, that we are one in purpose and spirit with, something happens inside of us. We move from walking by sight to walking by faith. Even just in this week, I prayed with a couple of friends around a specific issue. And, you know, we prayed maybe for 20 minutes. But we united around one thing. And all of us were changed after that. Because all of us were kind of praying in our own time for this specific thing. And we were all burdened. And we were all a little bit flustered. And we were all a little bit shaken in our faith. And then we prayed together. And I tell you that shifted something in all of us. All of us could walk out there saying, we're going to believe again. We're not going to give up on this until the very, very last moment. We're going to keep on believing. But that was one like-minded, united group that prayed one prayer, and we were all in agreement. There's something about uniting in prayer with like-minded people. I have a friend. She was trusting God for a very specific thing in her life. It was quite a difficult and a challenging thing, and... She, she wanted to trust God for this. This is what, what she wanted to do. But she felt guilty and she felt condemned because she felt she should rather be willing to do something else. I cannot, unfortunately, give you all the detail, but I hope you're going to get the gist of what I'm trying to say. So I said to her, we had this conversation, I said to her, what is your husband saying about this? So she said, no, he is feeling exactly the same way as she does. But she's feeling guilty for what they trust in God for. So I said to her, that's your key. You need to silence the condemnation and the guilt. And you need to start praying in accordance with the unity you have with your spouse. Which she did. And within six months, they had an answer to a, a big thing in their family. A big, big, big thing they were trusting God for. I mean, there were things falling into place that in the natural it doesn't normally 
fall into place like that. But she decided to silence the condemning voices and the guilt voices that wanted her to be double-minded. And the moment she united with her spouse, now this can be with a friend. You can have a friend. You can have a business partner. You can have a parent. You can have anybody that you you unite with. But the Bible says a house divided cannot stand, right? But he commands a blessing where there's unity. So when we pray together, there's power to move mountains. There's power. So find a like-minded person. When I was still working as an auditor, I would find, I worked in Stellenbosch for a long time, but I would find one like-minded person in that office. I wouldn't rest until I find that person because we're going to pray together for this office. And when we moved to East London, I worked again here this side for a couple of months in, a, in, a, in an office with other auditors. And I said to myself, I'm looking again for a like-minded person. I just need one. I need one like-minded person to agree with. And then God's going to do the work. So I want to encourage you, whatever your situation is, find a like-minded person and start praying. Start praying. You know, when I pray prayers of agreement with people who are like-minded, I change. I change because I believe again. I can believe again for the impossible. And sometimes it's just not the same praying on your own. You need that agreement and something changes. Amen. So when we unite, our faith increases. When we remember, our faith increases. When we unite, our faith increases. The other thing that we need to do, which is also easier said than done, but we need to keep asking. Some of you have asked God something 10 years ago or 5 years ago or 3 months ago, and you've stopped asking because maybe God didn't hear or maybe it's not God's will or you don't know. Maybe God's on holiday. Maybe God's attending to all the other people's needs and he's kind of forgotten about yours. So I want to show you a parable in Luke 18. Where, where Jesus is trying to explain to us that we need to pray and not lose heart, even if it takes years. So he spoke a parable to them that men always ought to pray and not lose heart, saying, There was in a certain city a judge who did not fear God nor regard man. And now there was a widow in that city, and she came to him saying, Get justice for me from my adversary. And he would not for a while, but afterward he said within himself, Though I do not fear God, so he wasn't in the mood, right? He wasn't in the mood. I, I think possibly he had lots of work. Maybe this woman couldn't even pay him. I don't know. But now this, you know, he's not, he's not wanting to help her. She is bothering him. Now he said within himself, though I do not fear God. So he doesn't even care about God. Nor regard man. He doesn't want to help her. Yet because this widow troubles me. She's troubling me. I will avenge her. Lest by a continual coming, she weary me. So this man was kind of over it. I'm just going to get this woman off my back. I'm going to help her. But he, that wasn't his plan. That wasn't even his original, intention, uh, his original plan to help this woman. But he decided... She's going to come every day. It looks like it. You know? I can't deal with this woman every day. I need to help her. The, 
You know, my soul can rest and her soul can rest. You know, and Jesus says, hear what the unjust judge said. Shall God not avenge his own elect, his own children, who cry out day and night to him? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. And I know this is easier said than done. We all possibly have things that we've prayed for for years or for months. And we are not so sure, should we keep on praying? This is why you need to hear God's voice. You need to hear God's voice again in your situation. How should you pray? How should you direct your prayers? But the Bible is clear. Ask, and it will be given to you. Ask. Keep on asking. I mean, this parable is very significant because, you know, there's a story in the Bible with Hezekiah in the Old Testament. God said to the prophet, go to Hezekiah and tell him to get his house in order, he's going to die. Just like that. Then Hezekiah comes before the Lord. He says, Lord, I have served you. You know, he comes with his, his Christian CV almost. He says, Lord, listen, I, and then, uh, can't you give me more years? And God said, I'll do it. He lived 15 more years. But God said, you have fulfilled the number of your days. Prophet, please go and tell Hezekiah he must get his house in order. He's going to die. Hezekiah said, Lord, give me more years. I ask. I ask. And God said, I'll do it. I'll do it. You know, with Moses in the, in the desert, God said, I'm going to destroy all these people. I'm sick and tired of them. Moses said, please, God, don't do it. Please. Please. You know, Moses was continually asking, continually interceding. And then God says, because of your prayers, because of, because of what you're asking me, I won't do it. Oh, I will do it. We serve a God that responds to prayer. We serve a God who responds to persevering prayer. Not just one prayer, more than one. Another one. Another one. You know, I, sometimes I think there's like all these prayers going up into heaven. It's like this big pot, you know. They all fall into the pot. You know, this is not theologically correct or anything. You won't find it in the Bible. But then I think we just need one more prayer. And then if the pot is going to overflow and then the promise is going to be fulfilled. This is nonsense, obviously. But I think sometimes we just need... To persevere one more day, one more week. We just need to add another believer asking because who knows? God can move suddenly. He can move suddenly. But if we stop praying, you know, the outcome is in God's hands. We cannot heal. We cannot deliver. We cannot save. But we can pray. Amen? We can pray. That is our part. So I want to encourage you, don't stop asking. Don't stop believing. Don't stop praying. You know, when I persevere in prayer, I change. I change. Because I feel on my heart is, is uniting around a promise or around a word or around something I would, I would love to see happen. And then I change. Even if, it, if the circumstances don't change tomorrow or next week, I change. And I change by walking again by faith, by moving from walking by sight to walking by faith when I keep on praying. Then the other thing I do, which 
Sometimes I think for me it's the most significant one. It can look different for many people. But I wrestle with God. I wrestle with Him. You know, when I wrestle with God, it's not always this pretty sight. There's tissues. There's tears. There's like buckets full of tears. <laughs> I don't want anybody to see me when I wrestle with God because I, I you know, there's sometimes a tantrum. Tantrum and questions. And I wrestle with the King of Kings because I need to change. I need to change. I want to take you to Genesis 32. It's a story of Jacob where he was wrestling with Jesus. Now, okay, just to give you a bit of context, you, you know, Abram and Sarah, eventually at the age of, age of 100, Sarah was 90, they had Isaac. Isaac got married to Rebecca. Something that's very interesting, she also couldn't fall pregnant. It's very interesting. There's a scripture in, in the Bible that says, So Isaac pleaded with the Lord for his wife, Rebecca, for she was barren. So again, there was an asking. There was a persevering. There was God, my wife. I'm, I'm pleading with you for my wife's sake, for our sake. Then eventually... She fell pregnant. And she had two boys, Esau and Jacob. Now this is the Jacob that's now wrestling with God. Genesis 32. Then Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him. Until the breaking of day. And he said, that is God. Let me go for the day breaks. He's like, okay, Jacob. We've wrestled enough. Now let me go. But Jacob said, no way, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Now, how's that? You know, this is now the king of the universe saying, let it go. You know, it's, it's the king, it's the creator, it's, it's God saying, let me go. The night is over, the day breaks, let me go. Joseph, oh, Jacob says, no way. I will not let you go un until you bless me, unless you bless me. You know, how many of us have ever wrestled through the night with God? I mean, I've wrestled many night hours, but I've never wrestled through the night, you know, the whole night, until I see the sun comes up. I've never been there. I've wrestled many hours in the dark. Those night hours are sometimes the most difficult, right? But that is where we meet God. Because listen what, what Jacob says. He called the name of the place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. He saw God face to face. It wasn't a theoretical reading scripture, praying a prayer. No, there was a wrestling. And what happened? He saw God face to face. And I think often in those night hours where we cannot sleep, where we are spirits, Refuse to be comforted. We, we, we cannot speak. We're so overwhelmed. When we wrestle with God, this is where we see His face. And we change. We change. We see God face to face. You know, and seeing God face to face does not come with a five-minute prayer. We often need to pray a bit longer. 
Not even 10 minutes. Sometimes not even an hour. Sometimes we see God's face after three hours of praying and wrestling with Him. Sometimes we need to worship five songs. I don't know if you've ever experienced it, but after one song, we often just want to, you know, switch. Pressing, get your peace, to hear His voice, to, to get your peace back. Then I want to encourage you, do 10 songs if necessary. Do it. Worship for two hours. But do it until you see, God, I see your face. I feel you. I, nothing has changed. It's not as if I have answers to everything. But I've met with you. I've met with you. I've seen you. And therefore, I am changed forever. I will never be the same again because I've seen you face to face. And this is often that we need to do in a season where there's confusion, in a season where there's pressure, in a season where there's, there's decisions to be made, where there's the se- seasons where you are where you're vulnerable, when you're grieving, when you're mourning, when you feel something in you have died. But God wants you to see him face to face. And it changes everything. It really does. You see, when I wrestle with God, I change. Because I believe again. I believe again because I've seen His face. So when we wrestle with God, our faith increases. Our faith increases. So I want to I wanna go back to James 1. Let's go back to James 1 where I said, The testing of our faith produces something beautiful called endurance or patience. And on top of that, there's something else, a perfected work, a thorough work, something beautiful that cannot be produced in one week or one month or even one year. So James 1, verse 2 to 4 in the message, listen to this. Consider it a sheer gift, friends, a gift. When tests and challenges come at you from all sides. Why would Scripture say consider it a gift? I mean, is God insensitive? Doesn't He understand? Doesn't He care? You know, about our deepest, darkest moments? He says consider it a sheer gift. Why? Because something beautiful is going to come from this season. And we don't always see it in the moment. Because there's too much pain, there's too much hurt, there's too much confusion. But that is why we need to wrestle. That is why we need to remember. This is why we need to unite. And this is why we need to keep on asking. Because if we do that, we're going to see the gifts in the midst of our trials and our tribulations. Then the, the, the scripture says, You know that under pressure your faith life is forced into the open and shows its true colors. It's easy to believe when things are going well right? It's very easy. We think, wow, no, this Christianity thing, I've, I've, I've got it, you know, I know how to do it. And then there's opposition, or there's sickness, or there's, there's something that happens, and you're like, oh my goodness, I'm confronted with my unbelief. I'm confronted with my fears. Do I really believe? And this is what, what the scripture says. This is why trials, it, it's a gift, Because it forces our faith life into the open. It forces us to decide, are we really serving Jesus? Are we really believing that he's good? It forces us. And when we do, when we get to that point where we say, Jesus, we believe. 
something in us change. It becomes a gift deposited in us because nothing can steal that from us. In this life, we will have tribulation. We will. But Jesus says, be of good cheer for I have overcome the world. So in every season of grief or tribulation or trial, there's a gift that we need to find. We need to search for it. We need to dig for it. We, we need to do whatever we can to find it because that gift cannot be taken away from us because it's something that God deposits in us that will help us run until the end, that will comfort us, that will give us hope, that will give us faith, that will help us not to only cope but to flourish no matter what happens in our lives. It's a gift. It's a permanent gift that God wants to give us, that's only found in the midst of trials and tribulation. Then the scripture says, so don't try to get out of anything prematurely. I want to read this again. Don't try to get out of anything prematurely. Sometimes we just want to run away from our jobs, from our boss. We just want to walk away from our, from our marriage. We just want to walk away from our parents. We just want to walk away from a difficult friendship. We just want to walk away. But maybe we shouldn't. Maybe it is time to walk away. But what is God saying? What is God's voice? Maybe He wants you to persevere. Maybe He wants you to stay so that He can do a thorough work, a beautiful work in you that will be like a gift. But you might miss this gift. If you run for your life because you just, you know, kind of had it, you might miss this gift that God wants to give you. This is why we should not try to get out of anything prematurely. We only walk when God says we walk. We only leave the church and go to another church when God gives us the green light. Because there's a gift. There's a gift in our brothers and sisters, even sometimes if they drive us crazy. You know, iron sharpens iron. And what many people do, they only have a certain threshold. And then they run. No, no, five people didn't greet me on Sunday. I'm out of here. Or nobody phoned me on my birthday. I'm going to look for a church, you know, where people care. Or, you know, it's just so easy to run. And by all means, sometimes God says it's time for a new season. Then you move whether it's a job, whether it's a church, whether it's a town. But running or getting out of something prematurely is not where you're going to find the gift. You find it when you persevere. You find it when you hang in there for dear life. You find it when you wrestle with God. You say, Lord, I'm not letting go until I see your face. Until I see your face. You know, when we look at all the heroes in the Bible... It's easy for us to see the outcome, the, you know, the story of Joseph, the story of Esther. It's so easy for us to look at the whole story, but they didn't know the end. You know, Joseph had to, had to remember the words God's given him as a teenager, you know, about the, the sun and the moon and the stars bowing before him. Now he's in jail in Egypt. He's a slave. He lost his identity now what? These voices, you know, you're a loser, you, you'd, you have no identity, you lost your name. So now he has a choice. He can hold on to God, he can wrestle with God until he remembers. 
Or you can just submit to all these voices of failure and of you're a nobody and you're in jail and hatred, you know, towards his family and offense. It's so easy for us to, wow, this is a good story. They didn't know the outcome. Do you know who knows the outcome of our stories? God. We don't know. But God is writing stories. He's writing beautiful stories. And He's committed to the outcome. He's committed to you. He's committed to to give you life, to give you hope, to give you peace, to give you comfort, to be to you whatever you need Him to be. But to receive that gift, we need to stick to Him. We need to stick to Him. Because it's not only about the outcome of a promise, it's about the journey. Amen? The miracle, the gift is found in the journey. Our relationship with God, our intimacy with Him, our connection with Him. Nobody can take that away from us. Nothing can take that away from us. And you know, I I understand that many of you currently, your story didn't end like Lazarus or Martha and Mary. You know, you're dealing with a real loss. You're dealing with real pain and grief at the moment because you've lost somebody very special. I know there's quite a few of you, even maybe online. If you're watching online, you might be dealing with this at the moment. And for you guys, I want to take you to the shortest scripture in the Bible. Also part of the Lazarus story. Verse 35 in that chapter. The shortest scripture in the Bible is where Jesus identified with their pain. You know, he knew that in, in an hour, nobody's going to cry anymore because Lazarus is going to be alive. But still, what, what did he do? That scripture says Jesus wept. Because when he saw what they're going through, when he saw their pain, when he saw... This, this loss that they need to work through because of Lazarus' death, he wept with them. He felt their pain. And to you guys who are actually dealing with a real loss at the moment, I want to say Jesus feels your pain. He really does. He's not, he's not forsaken you. He's not just going to do this miracle without identifying with your pain. Jesus wasn't going to do a real miracle, a resurrection from the dead. But still he stopped and he identified with their pain. He identified, he, he, he weeps with those who weeps. He mourns with those who mourns. But he doesn't leave it there. And that's the beauty of our God. He doesn't leave us and him weeping together or mourning together. He creates life again. He resurrects our hearts. If something in you have died because of whatever circumstances, God is committed to resurrect your heart. But he's first committed to cry with you, to feel with you, to not just ignore you and say, get over it. Get over it. I'm going to turn this into good. No, he will first come and mourn with you. He will first come and cry with you and say, my daughter, my son, I love you. I know this is so hard, but I'm not going to leave you in this, in this season of pain. I'm going to resurrect your heart. I'm going to make life beautiful again. It will never be the same, especially if we've lost somebody. 
will never be exactly the same. But God is committed to resurrect our hearts. You know, and for us as believers, there will be a resurrection. Amen? If you have lost a loved one, and that person knew Jesus, he or she is full of life at the moment. No pain, no sorrow. And if you know Jesus, you guys will meet again. You'll meet again. In a place where there's no crying, no tears, no sorrow. A beautiful place called heaven. A beautiful place where where everything will be different. And we cannot figure it out from the side of eternity. We can't. God created us to live by faith. This is why I believe we can't figure heaven out because God wants us to believe. But there will be a resurrection. And there will be a life because Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And it will be those things for you and your family in this season. So just in closing, what happens when God delays? What happens when God stays for two days in a town and still need to travel when somebody he really loves is unwell, is on his deathbed? What happens What happens when we ask God for something and it's five years down the line and nothing has changed? Everything's all the same. What happens? I believe God writes a story of love. I believe he writes a story of redemption. I believe he purifies our faith. I believe he opens our eyes for his character, for his goodness, for his ways. I believe he writes something in in the book of our lives, you know, God says every day of our lives are written in a book. God writes a story. He purifies our faith. He draws us closer to Him. So when God delays, things are happening. It might feel to us as if, you know, God has forgotten us. He's forsaken us. He's busy with, you know, the big things. You might feel that He doesn't care. But he writes a story. He writes a story of love, of redemption, which is beautiful. So I want to encourage you guys, wherever you are at in this season, not to lose hope. Not to think that God has forsaken you because that's not the truth. Not to think that, you know, God is busy with the important things in life, you know, the kingdom, and he's forgotten about you and your circumstances, because it's not the truth. He weeps with those who weep, and he mourns with those who mourns. But he loves you too much to leave you in that place of pain. He's going to resurrect your heart. He's going to give you beautiful ashes, not all of joy for mourning. Amen. Thank you for listening. Find more on Shofar East London's podcast channel. Let's do life together.